Come on, aren't you glad that we serve a risen Savior this Easter? Yeah. Man, this has already been just a powerful service. Wasn't that worship just amazing? I'm just so thankful for our worship team. I just want to take a minute and give them a little bit of props because we just completed the eighth service this weekend at Summit Park Church, everybody. So come on, can you put your hands together for, for them and every volunteer that we have serving this weekend? We love, well, we haven't completed it. We're just in the middle. Well, actually, we're just getting started with the eighth service. Come on, somebody. You are the eighth service. You are the final service. This is going to be the best service in Jesus' name. Yeah. Oh, man, it's Easter weekend, and I'm just so glad that you are here with us. Uh, man, what a great Easter it is already because it looks so much different than last Easter. Can I get an amen? Like, it looks so much different. Okay, let's just go down a trip down memory lane real quick. How many of you remember? It was a year ago, just over a year ago, that our world got turned upside down. Do you remember this? 2020. Some of you are like, no, I don't want to even think about it. <laughs> just don't take me there, Scott. It's just too painful. Remember when everything got turned upside down? We, had, we got shut down, quarantined. It was just this weird thing, and everybody started stocking up on groceries. You went to buy one loaf, and you got six, you know, six loaves of bread. You stocked up. You're like, just stick them in the freezer. And was walking around just, just kind of a little bit nervous in the, in the grocery store. And then when you got home from the grocery store, how many know you didn't take those groceries into your house? No, no, you left them outside. You left them outside for at least 25 days so that all of the virus just got off of it. And then, you know, you once you brought it into your house, you took 16 Clorox wipes and wiped them all down. Do you remember this? Do you remember when our worlds got turned upside down? And, and we thought, we thought that, that man, by Easter, everything's going to be back to normal. Do you remember thinking that last year? Anybody? Anybody just remember being like so confident, like, oh, man, Easter's coming. It's going to be back to normal. It's going to be so great. How many know we were really, really wrong? And we were really, really wrong. Easter was just getting started. We were just getting warmed up. Who knew, right? Who knew all that last year would be? It was just a crazy, crazy year. How many know it's possible to be really, really confident in something and yet really, really wrong all at the same time? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's possible. In fact, just as a testimony of humanity, how many of you would say you've ever been in your life confident? I mean, like, really sure about something and at the same time, really, really wrong. Come on, just raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, yeah, it's possible, isn't it? It's possible to be convinced of something and yet completely be wrong. I had one of these moments early on in my marriage. No, I'm sorry. We had lots of these moments early on in my marriage. How many know there's nothing like marriage to show you how wrong you are? Like there's just nothing like your spouse just to show you how you're completely missing it. But one of these times happened when, when, when early on in our marriage, you know, there's some things like you start learning about them. And you're like, oh, it's so cool how you do this, and it's so cool how you do that, and we're just different, and, man, that's so awesome. And then there's some things you're like, what? Like you're just like... You do that that way? It's just weird, and it kind of takes you by surprise. One of those happened we were making breakfast one morning, and we were making scrambled eggs, which I love some scrambled eggs, especially around Easter time. I don't know if you knew this, but I come from a Polish family, and what we like to do, did someone just whoop for Polish people? Like, okay, that's what's up. Yeah, okay. 
All right, flying eagle, fly eagle, fly. Okay. The eagle is the Polish. Okay, anyways. And so, um, so we're talking about eggs and and so what we like to do is we like to put kielbasa in eggs, all right? If you've never tried this before, it's absolutely amazing. Some people are like, oh, really? We would put sausage in eggs? Yes, not sausage. I'm talking kielbasa. I'm talking Polish sausage, somebody, and it's amazing. So that's a free tip for Easter, and all I have to say is like Maui once said, you're welcome, all right? So you can try it sometime on your own. It's incredible. Anyway, so I'm making scrambled eggs with my wife, and I go to add some milk to the eggs. I'm thinking like, that's, you know, that's what we do. We grew up doing that. It's just what we put the eggs in there. She goes, you're putting milk with eggs? And I'm like, yeah, that's what you do. She goes, you don't put milk with eggs. You put water with eggs. I'm like, you don't put water with eggs. That's disgusting. Who wants watery eggs? She goes, who wants milky eggs? And I'm like, everybody. All right, so let me just ask you, all right, let's take a little survey. How many of you grew up making your scrambled eggs with milk? Come on, just raise your hand. Yes. Yes. My wife has not seen this message yet. So I've been taking this survey, and it's like right at 98% of the people make it with milk. I cannot wait to tell her that she's so wrong. Anyways, how many of now, it's going to be hard for you to admit this, how many of you grew up making it with water? Come on, somebody. Okay, yeah, there's always a couple Judases in the bunch, all right? There's always a couple, just a couple. All right, anyway, so... So we're like getting ready to make these eggs. I'm, I'm like making with milk. She's like making with water. All right, so I'm making these eggs. And, uh, and, and so we're like, okay, we're not coming to terms on this. And so we settled the argument like we always settle every argument. You're, some of you are like, what, with the Bible and prayer? No, with Google, okay? We settled it with Google. <laughs> we looked it up. We looked it up and we're like, all right, all right, how are you supposed to make eggs? And here's actually what we found that about 50% of the articles say, make it with water. 50% of the articles say, make it with milk. And so we compromised, and to this day, we make it with a little bit of water and a little bit of milk. Come on, somebody. Like, it's coming together. That's the beauty of marriage. That's the beauty of marriage. You're the only service that clapped for that. Thank you. That's, a, that's encouraging. You know, it's possible to be really confident about something and at the same time be really, really wrong about something. It's just possible. And if you've ever had that moment, you're not alone. A lot of smart people have done the exact same thing. Alternating current, all right? It's what flows through all of our buildings and all of our houses. And, of course, one of the smartest people to ever live had to be Thomas Edison. He invented, of course, the... Light bulb, all right, yeah, he invented the light bulb, really smart inventor, invented light bulb and a bunch of other cool things. He said this about alternating current, which is, of course, the AC. You have AC, and then you have DC. Alternating current, direct current, you have AC, DC. And then, you, of course, you have rock and roll, AC, DC, okay? So you have it together, and this is, this is what Thomas Edison said about alternating current, which flows through our buildings and, of course, all of our houses. He said, fooling around with alternating current is just a waste of time. Nobody will use it ever. How <laughs> I many you know he was really, really wrong? You know, he was really smart and yet really, really wrong. In fact, Albert Einstein joined him and he said this in 1932, 12 years before the atomic bomb, he says this, there is not the slightest indication that nuclear energy will ever be obtainable. Albert Einstein, really, really smart and yet really, really wrong. And then one guy who advised... Henry Ford's lawyer, uh, he was the president of Michigan Savings Bank, and he told Henry Ford's lawyer, who was about to invest in Ford Motor Company, 
He says, hey, before you do that, I just want to let you know something. And he says this, the horse is here to stay, but the automobile is just a fad. Come on, somebody. You know, like that guy was really, really wrong. You can be the president of a bank and yet be really, really dumb sometimes. You know, that's just true. It's just true in life. And the reason this is important to talk about at Easter is that it's important to look at a question. One of the most important questions that you and I will ever answer, Jesus asked of his disciples, and Easter is what brought all of this to fruition and really what brought clarity to this question. And it's this question, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? The answer to that question, how you and I answer that question, is literally the most important thing about us. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? I want to look at this passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to just turn there for just a moment. I want to take a few minutes. I want to look at this verse. And, and I want us to see how Jesus is, is wanting his disciples to understand who he is. He's wanting to take their understanding of him to the next level. They've experienced all kinds of miracles. They've seen Jesus show up, heal people, cast demons out of people, feed the 5,000. Like they've, they've heard the Sermon on the Mount. They've seen amazing miracles up to this point. But Jesus says, I want you to go to the next level. How many know it's always fun to go to the next level? But there's nothing maybe more fun or more important than going to the next level in our understanding of who God is. And that's exactly what Jesus does for his disciples. So if you're ready to go to the next level, say, I am. All right, let's jump into Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's basically saying, who do people say I am? He's like, what's the word on the street? What's the gossip? What's the scuttlebutt? What are people saying about me? What are people saying about Jesus? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And then Jesus looks at them and says, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? It's a big question. As I mentioned, that is the most significant, most important question that any of us will ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Who is he really to you? And Simon Peter answers. Now, I'd be honest with you. Like in a group setting, I am not the person who's going to raise their hand first to answer any question. It's just not going to be me. You know, there's some people who are those people. We love those people because they go first. Never going to be me. I'm not looking dumb. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not doing it. I'll be like, I'll let everybody else look dumb but not me. But Simon Peter, he's kind of like the guy who goes charging in first. You know, he, he, uh, he acts first thinks second like that's that's Simon Peter consistently but he gets this right check this out he says you are the Messiah the son of the living God now that's a very powerful statement that's a very important statement and he says you are the Messiah the son of the living God and Jesus replies bam you got this right blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood but by my father in heaven, gold star, you win the award. You get the, tree for, the, the teacher's trophy. Good job. And he says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. How many of you know this is a good day for Peter? 
Like, like he gets this question right, you know, he's got to be feeling really good in front of the other disciples. He's like, I don't know if you guys saw that. But Jesus asked, and I answered, and I got it right. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Jesus is going to build this whole church on me. I'm kind of a big deal. Like, Peter is having a good day until he isn't. He isn't. Because he's so right in one moment, and yet he's completely wrong in the next moment. Literally the next verse. Check this out in verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He's like, guys, listen, I've got this master plan that I'm working, and in in order to accomplish this, I've got to go, I've got to die, and then I'm going to be raised again. And let me just tell you, it's all going to, what this is, is fulfilling prophecy. It's going to bring everything online. This is a big deal. And Peter, watch this. I mean, literally, this is the next verse. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh, that's a bad day. (laughs) That's a bad day. He's having a great day, but I think maybe he's having too great of a day. You know, it's possible to be having too great of a day. And I think Peter's having too great of a day. His pride's getting to his head, and he's like, Jesus, watch this. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So no, 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 I know you got a plan, but <laughs> I don't know if you just heard yourself, but I'm a pretty big deal, and I'm going to tell you this isn't going to happen. Watch what Jesus replies with. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's a bad day. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Talk about a pendulum swing, right? One moment, he couldn't be more right. The next moment, he couldn't be more wrong. You know it's a bad day when anybody calls you a devil, right? You know, like that's what Jesus calls me. Like, you know it's a bad day when anybody. Has anybody ever called you a devil? Like maybe it's you're driving, like they drive by, and, you know, they don't like something. They go like this. They want their window to come down. You know, this is the international sign for roll your window down. And then, like, roll your window down, you, you roll it down, and you're like, and they just go, devil? Has anybody ever done that to you? Probably not. Has anybody ever, like, you know, w- watched your parking job and been like, devil? Probably not. Or maybe, like, it's your chewing. Come on, you know, some people's chewing is just demonic. Like, it's like, you know, they're like, like that's demonic. Cast that thing out, like, in Jesus' name. You know, probably not. It's a bad day if anybody ever calls you a devil, right? It's a really bad day when the Son of God calls you one, especially after you were so right. But isn't this how life can be sometimes? Isn't this how life can be sometimes? Sometimes you just feel like you're nailing it, like you're crushing it, like your, your marriage is just awesome and your parenting is just on fire and then you're like crushing it at your job and you're like, yes, yes, yes. You feel like Steph Curry draining threes. You can't be stopped. You're chucking it behind your back and it's still going in. Like, isn't that how it feels sometimes? And then, and then it feels like you're not. Have you ever been really, really right only to be really, really wrong. Well, that's Peter. And what's sad and interesting is that this isn't the worst way he's going to be wrong. In fact, his wrong is just beginning. 
he's going he's gonna to miss it in one of the most significant ways, if not the most significant way. He's going to go on to betray Jesus when Jesus needed him most. He's going to turn his back on Jesus. But what's so cool about Easter and while we're talking about this at Easter is, is that when you look at his story, you see Peter before Easter and you see Peter after Easter and it's a different person. And it's because of this. Easter changes everything. Easter changes everything. And if we will allow the message of Easter, the message of the gospel to work in our heart, Easter will change you and I as well. So I want to give us a couple of thoughts. I want to break this passage down. We're going to look at a great life change story and walk away better. But before we do, I want you to find three people next to you and tell them Easter changes everything. Come on, find three people and tell them Easter changes everything. All right. The first thing that we see is that Peter realizes how great Jesus is. He realizes how great he has a moment of brilliance. Right? We looked at it in verse 16. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. This is more than just a good idea. This is more than just a good answer. This is the answer. Like, this is the answer to everything. Now, some of you might be new to church. Maybe you've been around church for a long time, but you're just like, okay, what is he talking about? Why does this matter? This is a really big deal that he says he's the Messiah, the Son of God, because the Messiah had been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, Matthew is really keen on this. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And he wants this Jewish audience to understand that this Jew named Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the Lamb of God. Now, what's that mean? What's that talking about? Well, all throughout the Old Testament, right from the very beginning, when things go sideways, when Adam and Eve sin and sin enters the world and, and things basically blow up and man and God get separated from each other, God says, I'm going to send a Messiah who will right all of the wrongs that you're experiencing. Basically saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to, I'm going to interact with you and I'm going to save you, I'm going to redeem you, and the relationship that you lost, I'm going to restore again. That's, that's what happens at the very beginning of this whole thing. And all throughout the Old Testament, you have great scriptures prophesying and telling the way that there will be this anointed one, this promised one, this Messiah. He's coming. And he's going to change the game. One of my favorite ones is Isaiah 61. It says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captive and release from darkness for the prisoners. That's a pretty cool verse, isn't it? Like that's a pretty cool idea that God wants to do that for all of us. Guess what? When Jesus starts his ministry, he goes to the synagogue and he asks them for the scroll of Isaiah. He opens up that verse, he reads it, and then he says, this is fulfilled in your hearing. He basically says, the one you've been waiting for is right here. Then he takes the mic and he drops it and he walks out. He, he, didn't, he didn't do that. But he was basically saying, I'm it. I'm the one you've been waiting for. You've been looking your whole life, and I'm here. And you know that's exactly what Jesus is saying to us today, this Easter. He's saying the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been looking for, the one you've been trying to fill the void in your heart with, 
with stuff and things and people and greed and lust. You've been trying to fill your heart with all of this stuff, but the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lamb of God, he's here. And his name is Jesus. And Peter understands it. He gets it. Because I've been learning about this since I was a little boy, and now I see how God is connecting all these dots. And, and then Jesus... He does that. Jesus does everything that he talked about. He binds up broken hearts. He goes and he, he makes people who are blind to see and lame to walk. And, and he sets people free. He casts demons out. And, and the disciples have a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. They're able to see the ministry of God. God's changing people's lives. This is more than a story. This is real. And it's being lived out in front of these disciples. And Peter is watching it and he's like, that's God. And Jesus is like, you're right. It is. Can I just tell you that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, the promised one. Now, let me just say, let me, well, I want to prove this to you. Because a lot of people are like, but is he really? You know, it's interesting that, that Peter says this after spending a lot of time with Jesus. It's interesting because they've prayed together, they've eaten together, they've gone to church together, they've hung out by the campfire together, they've spent a lot of time together, and at the end of that time together, Peter says, you're perfect. How many of you know it usually works the opposite? Like the more time you spend with someone, the less impressed you are by that someone. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just like, man, you are so impressive. Until I got to know you, you know, it's just like, it's just like, you were so smart until you started talking. Like, you know, it was just like, it's like usually different. You know, it's like when you start dating somebody, you're like in a dating relationship, you know, you're like, oh man, you, you're like, oh man, you, that first date, you call your friend, you're like, oh man, they are so amazing. They are perfect. I know it's so weird, but I think this is the perfect person. There's nothing wrong with them. Not one thing. There's not one thing wrong. Then the second day, it's like, oh, still great. Third day, oh, still great. Then you go ahead and get married. Three months into your marriage, you call that friend and you're like, listen, I need you to pray right now in Jesus' name because I'm convinced they're demon-possessed. <laughs> you thought they were perfect until you got to know them. That's just how it works. But with the disciples and Jesus, it's opposite. They're like, the more we get to know him, the more perfect he is. Can I tell you that every one of these disciples will die defending that perfection? They die because they can't, they can't stop telling people how perfect he is. And people are like, no, 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 you can't say that. Nobody's perfect. They're like, no, he is perfect. They're like, all right, we have to kill you. You're like, I don't care. I know it to be true. Come on, you really believe it if you're going to die for it and you spent time with him. That's what's, that's what's so compelling about Christianity. That's what makes Christianity so different. It's so relational. It's so personal. Peter understands who Jesus is, the Messiah, the son of the living God. But second point is this. Peter still has a long way to go. He realizes who he is, but he still has a long way to go. How I many know we're all on a journey we talk about this a lot at our church. We're all imperfect people on an imperfect journey toward a perfect God, and Peter is included in this imperfection. He's, he's got some issues. He's got some issues. 
Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. This is almost comical when you read it, right? You, he, he just told you, he just told you that he was going to build his church on you. And you just told him that he was the Messiah. But now you're going to pull him aside and say, eh, not so fast, Jesus. And, and I really believe it's because Peter doesn't understand two things. Number one, he doesn't understand how God works. I think Peter's like, no, 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 God, that's not how it works. You're not going to make yourself low. God's supposed to be great. God's supposed to be big. God's not supposed to die, but he doesn't understand the heart of God. See, do you realize that Jesus coming, living, dying, and then being raised again is exactly what God needed to do to fulfill all the prophecy, to make us right? He came, he lived among humble humans at a humble time, and he spent time with them. He entered into relationship. Why? Because God wants relationship with us. He comes. He makes himself at home. He, he goes through the trials and the temptations and the sin. He faces uh, the, the, the sin, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't ever sin. And he stays and he sits and he, and he cries and he prays and he helps and he serves. Why? Because God, because God humbles himself. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus, there was, he never sinned, never made a mistake. We already talked about the disciples died defending that. But he took on sin on a cross. The, the wrath of God was poured on, out on Christ so that it wouldn't be poured out on us. Look at that. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know that that's why Jesus came? That's why Easter changes everything. That Jesus came, took on the sin, our, our selfishness, our lust, our anger, our pride, our disobedience. He took all of that upon himself so you wouldn't have to. That's because God loves you. He wants to enter into your pain and your disappointment take that upon you and take that upon himself so that you don't have to go through it. So Peter didn't understand that Jesus didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. But the other thing that Peter doesn't understand or that Peter, how Peter misses it is that he makes himself the center of the story, doesn't he? Because what is he doing right now in this moment? He's thinking about himself. He's making his plan above God's plan. And can't we relate to that? Have you ever heard God say he's got a plan for your life? You'd be like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, okay, Lord, I'll take this and I'll take that. It's like, it's like a la carte. We treat God like an a la carte menu. Like, okay, God, I'll take that. I'll take the blessings and I'll take the provision and I'll take a little bit of worship and prayer sounds good. But, man, when you start telling me what to do with my life, no, good. I'm, no God, I'm good. Thank you very much. I'll do my own thing. Can't have it that way. That's what Peter's trying to do. He's trying to make him Messiah but not Lord. And see, we have to make a decision. Is he the Messiah, the son of the living God? Is he the Lord of all? Is he the Lord of our hearts? Who do you say he is? Let me ask you, who is he to you? See, Peter misses it because he doesn't understand the heart of God. And you know what? 
whenever we make ourselves the center of our story, it's always going to go bad for us. And this is exactly what happens with Peter. He's making himself the center of his story. And Jesus, as he gets ready to go to the cross, gets his disciples together. And he says, he says, hey, listen, you're all going to turn away from me. Every single one of you, you're all going to turn away from me. You, 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 you're all going to turn away from me. And Peter's like, not me, Jesus. And, and Jesus is like, no, I, I'm pretty sure I said one, two, all of you are going to turn away. And Peter's like, no, no, not me. Not going to let it happen. Uh-uh, not here, right here. I got you. Mm-mm, no. And Jesus is like, Peter, before the rooster crows three times tomorrow, you're, or before the rooster crows, you're going to betray me three times. By tomorrow morning. That had to be a hard word for Peter to hear, but that's exactly what happens. Do you know why? Because he's making himself the center of his story. He hasn't moved from Messiah to Lord yet. He's followed Jesus, but he's not following Jesus. And it's exactly what happens. You can read it in Luke chapter 22. One a servant girl comes up and is like, I think you were one of his followers. And Peter's like, no way. Another person comes up, I think you were one, I think you were with him. And Peter's like, no, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. Then another person comes up in verse 60. And Peter says, I think you were with him. And Peter replies, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Third time of disobedience. Third time of betrayal. Third time of leaving Jesus hanging, and the rooster crows, and Jesus is close by, and he looks at Peter. He looks straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord has spoken before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times, and he went outside, and he wept bitterly. Talk about missing it, right? I told you he was going to really let him down, and he does. And you know what happens? He weeps bitterly. This is always where our sin and selfishness and making ourselves the center of our story lead us. We think it's going to lead to life. We think we've got a better plan for our lives than God does, but it always leads to bitter weeping. Maybe you found yourself in that situation. Maybe you've made yourself the center of your story. Maybe you've been doing your own thing. Maybe God's been trying to get a hold of you. God's been drawing you. God's been wanting to do something great in your life, but you keep Making yourself the center. Man, if we could just get out of our own way, right? If we could just get out of our own way. Well, Jesus allows us to do that by making him the way. You know, and it's interesting because Peter fails Jesus. He weeps bitterly. He's got to be thinking, man, there's no plan for me. There's no way God could do anything in my life. But this is the beauty of Easter, and this is why Easter changes everything. We see it, and here's the third point, is that Jesus forgives Peter and restores God's plan for his life. He forgives him. And I'll show you this in just a second. But he says this prophecy, and he, he, he stands by it. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He makes this promise, and he keeps it. Jesus dies. He raises again, like he said. Peter finds out about it, and he's stoked, so he goes running towards the tomb. Look at this in Luke chapter 24. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. He's like, did this actually happen? 
Did, did God actually come and, 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 and live among us and, and then die for us and then raise again? And is this all of this? And he's wondering about that. But you know what else I think he's wondering about? If all of that was true, could he still love me even after I left him when he needed me most? Could God still have a plan for me even when I've done so much to turn my back on him? I believe that Peter is asking that question. And I think he's coming up with the wrong answer because he goes back to his old life. He goes back and he's fishing. Jesus actually called him out of the fishing business and made him a fisher of men. He said, I want to call you to ministry. I've got a higher call for your life. Do you know that God has a higher call for your life? He always does. He always does. But our old life comes calling a lot. And it's real easy to go back to it. But Jesus shows up. And Peter's fishing. Jesus shows up after the resurrection. Says, Peter, how's that going for you? He's like, not great. He does a miracle for him. Then makes him breakfast on the beach. And then he begins to restore his call to his life. And it's amazing. And he asks him a series of three questions. And we see it in John chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. You know what he's doing right here? He's saying, hey, Peter, I just want to ask, are you still with me? Who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Are you with me? Peter's like, yeah, I, I want to be. I know I messed up, but I want to be. She's like, good, you can be. Feed my lambs. Then he asks him again, are you with me? He's like, I want to be. Feed my lambs. And then he asks him a third time, are you with me? Who am I? Do you love me? And he's like, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Do what I've called you to do. And he forgives him. And he restores him. Peter betrays Jesus how many times? Three times. How many times does Jesus restore Peter? Three times. It's almost like he undoes everything that Peter did. How can that happen? How can God just overlook all of that? I mean, have you ever read the Old Testament? Just like honest moment in church. Like you can't lie because God will kill you. Like you just in church, all right? Like honest moment. Have, have you ever, he won't kill you. Uh, have, you ever had, have you ever had a moment where you're reading the Old Testament and you're like, you're seeing people like get killed for like, like, like things? Like they, they, they touch the Ark of the Covenant, they touch the box and it's like, oh, no, that person needs to die. Like, and you're just like, wow, God was like, he was in a bad mood in the Old Testament. Have you, come on, have you ever had that moment where you're reading the Bible and you're like, I think God was just angry. Like, what was that? What was the deal? People died for small things, seemingly, compared to this. What's the difference? How does, how does Jesus just be like, I'm good with that? He doesn't overlook it. He doesn't diminish it. He forgives it. What's the difference? Easter. That on a cross... Our Savior died for our sin so that we wouldn't have to live with it. <laughs> Easter changes everything. And this is a story that can change our hearts if we'll open our hearts to it. I want to give you just a great 
example, a powerful illustration, someone in our church who experienced this. Uh, it's a powerful life change story. It ties in so much with Peter's story, which ties in with so much of our stories. And I want to take a minute. I want to watch it, and then, and then I want us to pray and respond to it. Let's watch. So I grew up in a Christian loving home. Mom and dad were great. The older I got, the world pulled me in and I found myself disconnecting with God. I was pretty much, and just in my words, I was out of control wholeheartedly though. I felt really empty. I met a guy and we, uh, we found out while I was in college that I was pregnant. We decided, you know, probably the best thing for us to do is to get married. I rolled into a uh, relationship that I didn't necessarily know how to navigate at times uh, because there was abuse in my relationship. I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to help him and I didn't know how to get out of it. Got married young, uh, right out of college. Had, had ups and downs here and there, but for the most part, things were good um, until they weren't. With all of these feelings, I, I still said to myself, okay, how can, I, how can I help my husband? How can I make things better? How can I, how can I change things? The day finally came when I made the decision to go ahead and leave my husband. It's probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. I thought things were good. I thought things were, you know, as they should be with two great kids, a dog and a nice house and a great job. One day my uh, now ex decided to tell me that she was thinking about a divorce. The uh, next two years of my life then were some of the darkest days of, of of my whole life. I struggled still with the partying lifestyle. I entered into a second marriage. Not over a period of time, um, secrets arose and, and uh, circumstances happened and I found myself uh, in a second divorce. I hit rock bottom and I, I walked back into church. God slowly but surely started working on me. It took some time to find myself, and I, uh, I also took some time to really find out and to figure out what I wanted in a man. And I questioned just even the possibility of someone wanting to be even with someone that had been through two divorces. I chose to move forward and I decided, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and start dating again. We dated for quite some time and then the day came when uh, he invited me to Summit Park Church. God just started moving. Uh, we, we got married. That was when we started a blended family. God has done so much in our lives. It's, it's been amazing. We've started a blended family life group. We're all getting to know one another. We're all building relationships, uh, along with growing and getting closer to God. My son, he is uh, getting involved with youth, 
find myself up on stage worshiping. Ah, God, He is absolutely amazing. It's been wonderful doing life with somebody who, who knows the depths of that hurt, um, of that despair, and is willing to, to push through uh, in the mess. <laughs> it has been absolutely amazing to see what God has done in us and through us once we decided to put Him at the center of our lives. He has just worked in our family, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for us. Come on, isn't that just a great story of life change? Can we just thank God for that? It's powerful. I love, I love one of the things that uh, Curtis said towards the end there. Just finding somebody who was willing to meet me in the mess. And, and I just thought, like, that, that, that's the gospel right there. That's Jesus. That's exactly what Easter's all about. He meets us in the midst of our messes. Our messes do not disqualify us. Our shortcomings do not disqualify us. That's what... That's what Easter's all about. It's about God coming and qualifying us even though we have been disqualified. Like it's, it's about God meeting us in the midst of our sin and our, our disappointment and our shortcomings and, and loving us there, meeting us there, having a plan for our life there, and then taking us up out of it. Like this is, this is the gospel. This is why Easter changes everything. This is why it's not just a story. It's not just history. It's everything, but, but it has to become real, and we have to move from that place, the same place that Peter had to move from. See, before Easter, it's just all head knowledge. He knows, yeah, he's the prophesied one. After Easter, it becomes heart knowledge, and it changes his life. And you know what? What's cool is that Peter goes on to start the church and fulfill the plan of God for his life. He preaches the second greatest sermon, in my opinion, of all time. The beginning of the church. Thousands of people are added to the church at the beginning, and he goes on to help launch Christianity. We're here today because of him fulfilling the call of God in large part in his life. It's amazing. It's incredible. This is what God does. This is what God does, and this is what God wants to bring online for all of us. He has a plan for you. He has things that he wants to restore for you. He has things that he wants to make right for you, but but he's going to meet you where you are in your sin, in your shame, your disappointment. Maybe life has been just brutally hard to you. Maybe you found yourself in failure after failure and like, does God, can God do anything with this? Yes. He absolutely can and he wants to. This is why Easter matters. Who do you say he is? Is he a good person? Is he a moral teacher? Is he the Messiah or is he Lord? If you'll let him be Lord of your life, where you will give him control, you say, I'm not going to make myself the center of the story, but I'm going to make you. He will change you from the inside out. I just want to pray just for a moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? I want to pray. Father, I pray that this Easter truth would be so real for us. It would be more than history, it would be more 
than a story that's passed down, but God, it would be exactly how you intended it. It would be living hope for us if we would allow it. With every head bowed and every head closed, I just want to take a moment. This is a very important moment. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? If you will make him Lord of your life, he will change you from the inside out. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, so don't even think about that. That's, that we, don't, we are not going to be perfect this side of heaven, but I will tell you this. It is better, and it is eternal. It's the, only, it's the only thing that's eternal. This life is so temporal. God will let us live for ourselves if we want to. He's not going to force himself on any of us. But if we'll respond to the free gift of salvation, God will change us from the inside out. He will make us new again. The Bible says if, if there's anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You can have that. You can have resurrection life. Paul talks about this in Romans that the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in us also. You can have resurrection power in your life. But you got to open up your heart to him. And you can't be the center of your story. You have to make him the center. I want to I give you an opportunity to respond. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, I want to make a decision to follow Christ. Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. You're here today, and God is speaking to you. God is drawing you. God is pulling you home. He wants you to know him. It's, it's the most important thing that you will ever engage with in your life, this moment, this, this question, who do you say Jesus is? You're here today, and you be honest. You say, you know what? He's not Lord, but I want him to be. I'm tired of making myself the center. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of the disappointment. I'm tired of the party scene. I'm tired of whatever it is you're chasing, but you're ready to follow God and experience resurrection life. If that's you today, God wants to touch you, wants to speak to you. He will change you from the inside out, but you got to respond. You're here today, and you say, man, this is speaking right to me, Scott. I need to respond for the first time or for the first time in a long time. You're saying, I want this free gift of grace. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want you to lift your hand all across this place and say, that's me. Come on, just all across this place. Just say, that's me. You're speaking right to me, Scott. Hands are going up everywhere. Just hold it up. Reach out for God. Say, yeah, I, I want to respond to the goodness and the grace of God. God's going to change you from there. Come on, anybody else, you're saying, this is speaking right to me. I don't want to miss this opportunity to say a prayer, to make a decision. This could be the best Easter you've ever had in your life the most meaningful Easter. Just say, hey, this guy is speaking right to me. I want this. I pray for you. Father, I pray for every person who's reaching out, every person who's praying. God, I pray that they would experience life, hope, joy, grace. Bring it online in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me across this place? I just want to take a moment. We want to respond. So many people raise their hand, and I'm just so thankful for you. I'm excited for you. This is an important moment. If you didn't raise your hand but you need to, I want to encourage you make a decision. It will be the best decision. But I want to take a moment, just respond to the goodness of God. We, we experience the goodness of God because of Easter. It changes everything. So would you just lift your hands all across this place and say, God, thank you for the life. Thank you for the hope, for the joy that you bring online for us because of Easter. Lord, we love you.
and we praise you and we give you our hearts. We say, come alive in our hearts, Lord. Have it all, we pray. We love you. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship.